0: So that's sort of where we are. We are in week four of this series, so we are on chapter four. And as we start to look into the how do we walk out the, um, from the latter part of this letter, um, we're going to see some practical observations and applications of how to live a life as a Jesus follower. So uh, this morning we're going to focus on uh, seven verses. Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 17, going through verse 24, and this is what it says by the way, I'm not dressed up because I'm excited the Patriots won last week, but <laughs> just so you know. Don't want anyone getting any misconceptions. All right. <laughs> Ephesians four seventeen through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to every practice, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that we you learn Christ. Assuming. And as we continue this series talking about being transformed and not so much um, trying to transform yourself, but really remembering that we have been transformed, I, I pray that we would commit to live our lives more consistent with who God has told you that you are and who, who I am, that you are a new person, that by definition, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation transformed from the inside out. And you now can live set free to be that new person, not like the old you, but with new priorities in life and new ways of talking in life and ways of relating to people that you could never do before, ways to relating to money where it is not a slave or you're not a slave of it, but that you can use money and the way that you live your life to honor and to show the love of God to the world that you live in. And as we relate to this life in a complete different way, because we have been transformed in Jesus, yes, you might relapse. Maybe you will fall back into some things, say some, something when someone cuts you off on the freeway or when somebody's frustrated, uh, you're frustrated at somebody, or your boss isn't being nice to you. Even though you might at times act like the old new, it does not negate the fact that you are indeed New And in 2017, it is my goal for my life and to see in your life as well that we would live like the new us. So let's pray and uh, ask the Lord to take this time. Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you have created us as new beings in Christ Jesus, created for good works. Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to remember and realize the power And the the freedom that we have in you, that we are no longer a slave to the old ways of thinking or doing or relating, but we are now new and free and sanctified in you that we we can run lord we're before we were chained but that the the chains of sin no longer bind us jesus and and we just thank you that you are here that you want to change our lives that we if we take the words of life that come from you that we will never be the same so we thank you for this we expect it in jesus name everyone said amen. If you were to ask my parents how I was as a child or a teenager, one word that would come to mind would be the word stubborn. Um, If they were in here, I don't think they're in here, they would be smiling and nodding their heads saying, finally he gets it, that he was a stubborn kid. I I was pretty stubborn. I was the uh, prototypical know-it-all teen. I thought I knew everything. I think every teen's probably like that, but but I, I was really bad. I, I, I just thought I knew everything. So um, when I was 19 years old, God called me to do an internship uh, called Master's Commission that was actually started at a church here, uh, Tommy Barnett's church, uh, Phoenix First, and now it's called uh, Dream Ch- Church or something like that. Dream Center Church. Um, so I did an internship there, and uh, the reason I did an internship there was because I, um, when I was on a missions trip, and my life was completely called to the work of the ministry at 13, uh, this is one of the pastors at this church who was leading this internship. He was the one that really uh, spoke to me, and I really felt like through him, God changed my life. So I went there. He was a dad of five kids, was passionate about the Bible, loved Jesus with all of his heart, loved his wife, and I was like, I want to be like this guy. And so I went and did this this, uh, internship, had a connection with him, but not a really strong one, but knew that this was where I was supposed to go. So I went there. Uh, This was a program, when I was in it, that had tons of rules. I mean, so many rules. Uh, At times, I had to like tuck in my sweatshirt, because you had to tuck your shirt in no matter what, even if it was a sweatshirt, which was random and weird. Like wearing this, I'd have to be tucking it in, which would look so strange. But uh, there was curfew, dress code. Uh, we couldn't date, um, which I was 19, which is sort of when you want to date. Uh, but I didn't really date in high school anyway, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But as the year went on, and I was in this program, uh, time passed by, and I started to think, well, maybe these rules, they don't Apply to me so much. They, they, they don't matter to my life. And, and so I started stretching the rules. And and one of the main rules was you will not date when you're in this program. That was like cut and dry. This is not going to happen. And um, I didn't date much, anyways, uh, actually at all. Um, but there was this girl that, that I was starting to get to know while I was in this program. It wasn't Michelle, because if it was Michelle, I would have been like, forget this program. I'm going to marry this girl. <laughs> and, and so it wasn't her, it was another girl. But I thought she was cool and i was giving her more attention and it wasn't like we went on dates or we were holding hands or or anything like that but i definitely was focusing on her uh, more than i was the program and one day my my uh the instructor or the pastor over this program he brought me into his office and i went in so defensive and you know how funny it is when you're trying to defend your wrongness Have you ever done that? I'm like totally trying to defend my wrongness. And he's telling me stuff and I keep saying, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. And after about the fifth, yeah, I know. He slams his hands down on the, on the table. He stands up, gets in my face and he goes, you don't know anything. (laughs) And I'm sitting there and this is a big guy. He was a bodybuilder. And I'm like, I know. No, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. I'm sorry. Don't kill me. Uh, And so what he went on to say was, this girl is not for you. You need to wake up and remember who you are and why you're here. And, and looking back, that was really a defining moment in my life. And I'm blessed that he was in my life. And looking throughout my, my life as a teenager in my early 20s, uh, oddly enough, like every time I was interested in a girl, I had somebody say the exact same thing to me until I met Michelle, where they're like, this is not the girl for you. And so that's probably why I didn't date very much, but it, it, it was good. But what he was saying was be who you really are. Remember your calling. Remember why you are here. And there's some of us in this room today, and you didn't have the luxury of somebody speaking into your life the way that I did. And somebody saying, listen, wake up, because this person that you are starting to become or the things that you are doing, that's not who you are. And you need to realize and come back to the reality that you are something different than what you are portraying yourself to be. And this morning, if if you didn't hear that as a kid or in your life, maybe you've never heard that, um, be blessed because the book of Ephesians chapter 4 is really the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, sitting you down on a Sunday morning saying, be who you really are. And it's God reminding us as Jesus followers of the life that he's called us to to be who we really are. And Paul, he reminds these Ephesians, these people from Ephesus in this church, of what has already happened to them, that they have been made new, that they have been transformed. And so Paul is saying in this book, what I heard from my pastor, and and the way Paul talks, he was very trained in the art of arguing, in dialogue, and, and speaking. And so, in Hebrew, uh, true Hebrew form, what he would do is he would argue to a particular point from negative to positive, positive. and the positive is pretty powerful. And because the positive is so powerful, the negative. Is very powerful as well. So he's about to get very, very negative. And so Paul's about to outline the gory details of a life apart from God. And remember, these are people who have already experienced salvation. These are Christians. These are people in the church who have been already made a new creation. And they they have the evidence of, of salvation and Jesus in their lives, but Paul still says to them, Be who you really are. And he starts by saying, don't be like the Gentiles. Now, what is he saying there? What he's really saying is don't be like those people who have no covenant relationship with God. Because you do have a covenant relationship with God. And when you didn't, it says you lived in the futility of your mind. Now remember, this is negative to positive. So get ready because this is the beginning of some really negative stuff, but there is a positive at the end of it. So verse 17, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles, those with no covenant relationship with God do, in the futility of their minds. Now this word futility, it means failure. It means purposelessness. It means aimlessness. It means literally that you're incapable of doing what your mind was designed to do. Your mind can never be fully satisfied because before you knew God, there was this futility or this failure to achieve what your mind was really created to be. And what this tells us is that God, he really created our minds with one main purpose. And of course, there's other things that our minds can do and accomplish. But the one main purpose that will satisfy your mind is not math. It's not science. It's not facts or art or music. All those things are great. But the number one job of your brain is to comprehend your creator. This is ultimately why we have a mind. Is to understand who he is. But when Adam and Eve chose of their own free will to disobey God, sin entered the picture and is, in essence, short circuited our brains. So the thirst that all of us have in the world that we live in, we have to find satisfaction, to find fulfillment. And last week we talked a bunch about how do you feel full with the fullness of God. It has to happen, not through data or through information. It can only be full through the creator who made it, which is God. And I don't know, but I think that maybe this is part of the reason why the world that we live in is so uncontent. That it's so dissatisfied. That it's all together, it seems like there's frustration and people who will even end their life because they cannot find What will satisfy them? And it drives them to an end where they say, I can't even do this anymore. And the reason is because they cannot find the truth, which is in Jesus Christ. It is mentally impossible to satisfy your mind, which is to understand God without God. You can't do it. And so... Paul says, before you knew Jesus, your brain was futile in fulfilling the reason that it was created. And you fail in understanding your purpose. And he goes on, and things get worse, unfortunately. In verse 18, it says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from a life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of hearts so the ability to see and understand god that wasn't even an option it's saying in essence we were spiritually dead. These people were blinded to the big picture, obsessed with a life in the here and now. So all you can see is the bottom line in your checking account. Or all you can see is that next temptation that is staring you in the face, trying to destroy your life. Or all you can see is that next fix to get you through the day because you don't think you can get through it without it. All you can see is how many friends you have on Facebook when trying to make yourself feel um, satisfied or edified through that or the new car that you're, you're buying or the next vacation that you're trying to get to. This, this is all you can see. You can't see the bigger picture. You can't see anything larger than the situation that you are in. The fact that God has a plan that is so much bigger and larger than you are—that there even is a God, that there is an eternal reality that is so much greater—that there's something more important than going to the lake on the weekends or or relaxing when when you're not working or or watching Sunday morning football—and you can all say Amen to that because the football season's over. So Amen, no more Sunday morning football. I can do that now until next August. Um, but there's so much more to life but when you live darkened you can't see anything beyond yourself in fact this word uh, darkens it's, it means um only seeing what pertains to you i mean this idea of being alienated from a life of god and think about that being alienated removed from your creator spiritually we were lifeless why because our hearts were hard Jesus saves. What does he save from? He saves us from that. Oh, my goodness. Remember, we talked about your heart is the control center of your being. It's your conscience. It's your feelings. It's your will, your emotions. And your heart was desensitized. Your heart was hardened. Your heart was hopeless to God, to the one who designed you, wired you, created you, and gives you a purpose. You are impervious to his involvement in your life. And you know, there are some people, maybe you're in this room today, and you say, I don't care if I have a hard heart. That's not a big deal to me. I can have a hard heart, and that's fine. Or you will meet people who are like, whatever. You say I have a hard heart, big deal. I'll have a hard heart. Great. It won't break that way. And let me appeal to you in this, or to those who you might uh, run into who feel the same way, uh, your experience in this life is profoundly limited if your heart is desensitized to the one who gave it to you. If you're looking for maximum experience here on earth, it is intrinsically linked to your ability to connect your existence to the one who created you. And when those terms, nobody wants a hard heart. We all want to feel the fullness of the life that we're in because we only get one. And the only way you can feel that is if your heart is not hardened to your creator. Now that brings up an interesting question. How do you know if you have a hard heart? I want to know if I have a hard heart. And who's to say? I remember when I was growing up, I was a little kid in a Methodist church, United Methodist of Woodinville, Washington. And I'm there, and I'm maybe being a little uh, crazy. I was like seven or eight years old, running in the sanctuary, getting in trouble. And this old sweet saint, minus the sweet, comes up to me, and he stops me. And he puts him in his hand, like this little pinch thing. I don't know how he did it, but it like throws me in, in my place. Maybe I should use it on my kids. But he pinched me, pinched me. I got pinched in church. And, and he goes, you son have a hard heart. And I'm like, thank you. That was so uplifting. And then I ran off. Um, but how do you know? How do you know if you have a hard heart? Because Paul says, this is really bad. And this is saying that the control center of your being is darkened to God. That it's completely separated. That you don't have an ability to connect or to feel or even be aware of God. So how do you know? And Paul, in, in this passage, he gives us three, a three-point checklist on how to know or how to recognize if your heart is hard. And it starts in verse 19. Actually, it's all in verse 19. This is what it says. It says, They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, this word sensuality, this is the first way that you recognize if you have a hard heart. And sensuality is the word, in the Greek, it's asegaya. And it is the constant pursuit of self-gratification. It means that at the expense of the people you know and the people that you love and the people who care about you, you will do what you feel is best for you in that moment, regardless of the trail of hurt and pain that you're leaving behind you. Because you will perpetually pursue what feels good in your moment. Ultimately, sensuality is selfishness on steroids. Because you are constantly feeding your senses, doing whatever makes sense in that moment, even if it really doesn't make sense for your life. It's doing what's best for you and you alone, not caring for those who love you or thinking about what might happen to those who are in your life. It's how you live. This is one of the the marks of having a hard heart. And so, Being in this idea of self-gratification or sensuality is one way that Paul says you can realize if your heart is hard or you're acting like your heart is hard even though you have been changed. You need to realize that if you're acting this way, that you're acting like the old you and not the new you. The second way is not nearly as dramatic as the self-gratification of sensuality, but it's greed. It's the constant pursuit of more. Whatever it is, whatever you've attained, you need more of it. You're never satisfied. You can't even help yourself. You're never having enough. Things are never good enough. You're always trying to get more. You're never content with what you have. And and I'm not saying that you don't strive for more in life, but you have to be content with what you have in order to get in a healthy way what God wants to give you. And he's saying you're greedy. the, The opposite of What greedy is, is gratitude. And when you have a hard heart, you have an inability to be grateful. You can't even look past what God has given you and saying, Thank you, God. I appreciate that. I'll be happy if this is all you ever give me. It's greed. It's wanting more. It's a longing for for what you can't have. It's a lust for what you can't have. That's what greed is. And and thirdly, he speaks about every kind practicing every kind of impurity, which specifically is talking about reckless sexual behavior. Now, if I ended here, you guys probably would never come back and think this is the most depressing sermon I have ever heard in my life. And I don't like that guy anymore. He shouldn't wear suits. Um, <laughs> but Paul, in classic Paul form, gives this colossal transition, this amazing U-turn, this awesome about-face, where he goes in verse 20. But, Paul uses a lot of buts in Ephesians. He says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Now, it's interesting, because the next verse, he says, assuming. Now, the word assume is in the Bible, and Paul is assuming. And I thought that was pretty crazy because growing up, I was always told, don't assume things because we'll just say, let us, let's just say it makes a fool out of you and me, uh, if you've heard the phrase that I'm talking about. But I was to- always told, don't assume things. But Paul, being led by the Spirit, makes an assumption, puts it in God's book, and he says, this is not... The way that you learn Jesus. And I'm assuming that the way that you really learned about Jesus, the way that you really experienced Jesus, is the same way that I experienced Jesus. The way that I learned about Jesus. And I believe that, but the way that I see that you're acting as the old you and not the new you, maybe my assumptions are not quite accurate. And so let's talk about this. How do you learn about Jesus Because understanding the way that you learned about Jesus is imperative to the trajectory of your walk with him. We have to understand how we learned about him. Because uh, Paul will go on and he talks about two ways in, in the Greek that we can learn about Jesus. And one, did you hear about him? Do you have knowledge of him? Do you understand the rules and the words of Jesus? Or do you know him? Please remember that Paul encountered Jesus. Paul didn't just learn about Jesus in the book. Paul learned a lot of things about God. But he encountered Jesus. And he's saying, I think that you learned about Jesus the same way that I learned about Jesus. You don't just know who he is You've experienced him. Now, when I was in college, I took a class, and it was on all of the early uh, Christian writers. And one of the main people in that class was C.S. Lewis. And so I had to read so much on C.S. Lewis, all of his books, um, everything about his life, his autobiography, all of that stuff. And so in reading all that, I I understood who C.S. Lewis was. But I never met the man. I never shook his hand. I didn't even live in the same time period as he did. So even though I knew C.S. Lewis, I didn't truly know him because I never experienced him. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. And Paul is saying, in looking at your old life, in looking at your new life, what is important is how you met Jesus. And I just, I know that this is not how you learned about him but the way that you're trying to trend in your life, oh, wait, maybe it is. He says, I know this isn't you. He says, realize that. Realize that this is not who you are. Be who you really are. Religion is predicated on knowing about Jesus. Religion is is understanding and following the teachings of God so that mentally you can say, yes, I have checked off these things. I believe Jesus was a great historical figure, and most of his teachings, at least, I believe with. So in order to improve myself morally, I'm going to follow this figure from history. Religion is really knowing about Jesus, and that's what Paul himself came out of. He was on the road to kill Jesus' followers. And God knocked him off of his donkey and said, I want you to come play for the good guys. Knock it off. Follow me. Took a big mag- light from heaven, shined it in his eyes, blinded him, and said, this is not who I've called you to be. And in that moment, Paul experienced Jesus firsthand. And so he is so passionate in writing to help these people to remember that God has transformed you. He's made you into a new you into a new person. That he is living, that he is life-giving, that he literally changed the path that you were on from death into life. And he goes on in reminding, assuming now that they are on the same page, that you remember the way that you met God and experienced God. And he says something that's somewhat odd in the reading. Next in verse 22, he says, to put off your old self, which belonged to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. What he's saying is shed the dead and put on what is living. That Christianity and what we believe in is not so much a religion... Even though there are things that we follow, it is more a way of living. Paul's saying you've heard the good news. You understand that you were dead, that you were alienated, that you were darkened in your understanding, that you were destined to a life of death, desensitized from the things of God, completely lost, dead as dead can be on the inside. But then Jesus came in and he made you alive. And this is so reminiscent of what Jesus said, that you must be born again, that the Christianity that we believe in, the, the Jesus that we subscribe to, isn't just going from good to better to best or even bad to good but it's going from death to life what we subscribe to and and what we believe in is literally creation itself it's being birthed again death to life put off the old self that belongs to your former way of thinking with dead hard calloused hearts, and minds. And remember, again, this is not talking about salvation. What this is talking about is if you want a fulfilling, satisfying life with Jesus, the life that you've been invited to, here's how you have it. You remember who God's created you to be. You know what I love about subscribing to Jesus in Christianity is you don't change to become a Christian. You change because you're a Christian. We are changed. We change because we have been changed. And it's really remembering that he has taken us from lifeless, dead hearts and minds into the fullness and freedom of life. That who you are now is saved. It's new. It's transformed. It's regenerated. That's who you are truly are and then he says in verse 24 and to put on the new self created after the likeness of god in true righteousness and holiness now it'd be very easy for us to look at verse 22 and then verse 24 and think okay i just need to stop doing dumb things i just need to stop doing these foolish idiotic things in my life and then i'll be good stop being bad Start being good. Do the good things. Do the things that make me living. But the problem is there's this haunting verse in the book of Proverbs, uh, the book of wisdom. And and this is what it says. And we experience this all the time in Proverbs 26, 11. It says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly." And Paul's language here is very reminiscent of that. That why would you, like a dog, return back to dead things? Things that your new life has rejected. Why in the world would you look at death and think, I want that again? And you know, we totally agree with this proverb. We're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's terrible and people do that all the time, but we do it. I mean, maybe you don't, but I know I do. I mean, I'll just talk for myself here. I mean, there are times when I know there's things that my system has rejected. Emotional things, physical things, verbal things, visual things, mental things, where I have thrown those things off, that I've vomited them out of my new life, my new being, the creation that that God has created. And and I'm like, I no longer want those things in my life. But there are times for some reason where I'll look back at those things and be like, wow. Wow. That looks really good. This morning, even, I didn't put this in my sermon, but it's a great illustration. We're moving the fridge back into the kitchen, and there's this um, canister, glass canister of soup from six months ago that was just about to explode, and, and it fell on the ground, and it exploded everywhere. It was the worst smelling thing I have ever smelled and now you're all gonna smell it because it's in your it's in your head, but it, it's not. You you can't smell it anymore. But it's like looking at that, which I could barely Kyle and I could barely even like be 15 feet away from it, smelled so bad, and saying, Wow, that looks good. I wanna eat that. In fact, I won't eat, I'll just scoop it up off with a spoon. <laughs> I'll be mean, that seriously though, that's what It is. It's taking death. And Paul's saying, this is disgusting. It's death. It has nothing to do with the new you. Yet for some reason, and I know this is so true with me, that that there are times where I'll look at it and I'll think, wow, that old habit, that old relationship, that old way of reacting to problems in my life. Wow, I, I think I want to do that again. It makes no sense. And let's be honest. I mean, there's some of us tonight who will look at vomit and think, I want some of that. Let's just be honest. I mean, it might not be you, but it's me. That will happen. How do we make sure that we see death for what it really is? Well, we find it in verse 23. Verse 22, old dead ways of living and thinking. Verse 24, new life-giving ways of thinking. Verse 23, that's what it all hinges on. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And please don't get messed up in thinking of this metaphor, because it is a metaphor as an external thing. So take off the works and put on the good works. It's not talking about... Literal It's talking about spiritual. Religion is always external and rarely internal. But relationship with Jesus is always internal. And eventually, it will be external as well. This isn't about putting on or off things on the internal or in the external. This is about realizing. Remember what it says, the very beginning. It says, futility of the mind. And your mind affects your heart. And what does it say here? It says renewed by the spirit of your mind. It's not talking about your hands. It's not talking about what you do. It's talking about what's inside. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And this might seem so simple, but there are times in your life where it is anything but simple. When you are by yourself and things that are death and awful and and disgusting And you see them and you're like, oh my goodness, I I really want that. You know what helps me when I'm dealing with that? It's my friends. It's my wife. It's people in my life. You see, the reason that we have community is because there's a lot of times where in my own mind, I'll look at death and think it's life. But I have people around me who will say, okay, that's vomit and you don't want to eat it. That's why we're here. That's why we have community. That's why we come together. And we need to do it over coffee. We need to do it at dinners. We need to do it before or after a movie that we see together. We have to get together with life and like-minded people. Talking about the Bible. Talking about what Jesus has done for us. Talking about the freedom that we have. Because when you focus on the good, you can identify the bad When somebody who's looking through um, counterfeits, the way that they realize what is a counterfeit and what is not a counterfeit is not by looking at all the different counterfeits. It's by looking at the real thing. And as we get together and we talk about the real thing, life that we have, we can quickly identify what was from our past and realize I don't need that anymore. Please don't underestimate this place, what we do here. Because we are building a family, a community, because I need you and you need me. And we need each other because God created it that way so that we can say, Together, I will live in the new things and not in the old. And if you say, "Well, I don't have a way of connecting with people. I'm not social. I can't just ask somebody to go out and eat." Well, guess what? Wednesday nights, men, we have a place for you at the church, 6:30, be here. Women, Thursday nights, 6:30, be here. We're going to start Jesus communities, um, small groups, where and this will be coming up, but we'll talk about it, where, where you can meet in a, in a home or in a coffee place, and I don't want to call them home groups because it might not happen in a home, and it's about Jesus. So Jesus communities, like small communities where you can connect with other people and do exactly what Paul is calling us to do here, to live life together, to identify and hold each other accountable and say, this is life and this is death, and you don't need to walk in death anymore it's being a group of people wow that sounds really good yeah God created it (laughs) be renewed by the spirit of your mind and remember that is not who you are be who who God has created you to be and you will feel fulfillment You will feel hope, joy, and a future that has good things for you. Would you pray with me?